my friends, is what Barrie, Ontario sounded like on Thursday, June 4th, 2020. More than a thousand people came out to voice their support for the local black community, to demand justice, to let everyone know that black lives matter every day. A couple days later, we had a similar protest in the same spot. Another amazing crowd full of inspirational speakers, passion. It was an emotional, confrontational, full of wisdom found through lived experiences, voices that we need to be listening to. And these are voices that haven't been listened to for centuries. As you'll hear later on during my conversation with community activist Shelley Skinner, the black community is fed up. They're fed up with hearing words, the words of white people and so-called allies. What they want to see is action and they deserve to see action. If we want to see the change that we say we want, we will need to work with the black community change our behavior, and force our friends, neighbors, and co-workers to do the same. We can't rely on leaders to do this. We need to rise up together. If that is through fighting for defunding of police, then we need to back it up by demanding better resources and supports. If it's through political action, then we need to back it up by demanding real systemic change, and an end to a racist, capitalist system. That's pretty much all I want to say this episode. I'm here to amplify the views of the people that we need to be listening to. So I want to start this episode by listening to a little snippet of one of the speeches that was delivered on Thursday in downtown Barrie. It was delivered by a young woman, full of passion, full of emotion. And it's a call to action, a call that we all need to be listening to, and a call that we really need to really send out to the greater community and really, as I said, back that up, answer that call, be the change that we need to be.
so powerful. I was blown away by the wisdom and insight that we heard on Thursday and again on Saturday in downtown Barrie. The people there amazed me. The speakers were just incredible. What they are able to glean from their experiences and pass them on to people who need to hear them is simply astonishing. But it doesn't mean much if we don't take those words and act on them. Which brings us to my conversation with activist Shelley Skinner. Shelley has been fighting for years and she's calling us all out to join that fight. To stop sharing memes and Facebook posts unless you're also ready to share the streets and the public spaces to demand change. Okay, so uh, Till, I know this has been an emotional time uh, for you. Um, I'm just, I'm just wondering what's what, what's your prevailing emotion right now? Anger, fear, sadness, a combination of all three or more? <sighs> okay, um, good question. So, um, like most things, <laughs> there's different stages, <laughs> and it really depends on kind of um, uh, what what I'm coming across. Um, over like probably today um, I felt the most hopeful that um, that change is coming but the, the until I started to kind of um, change how I was going to um, navigate this whole thing um, it was actually just anger anger and frustration and being completely and totally and fed up and that that's kind of being fed up that's going to last for a while. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm fed up of having to protest this shit again. You know what I'm saying? I know a lot of people see those, those signs and all the protests and like, are we really, are we really protesting this still, you know, after all these years, um, we're still trying to, um, uh, fight anti-black racism. It's, it's, it's incredible, but I'm trying to stay hopeful. I am, I'm, changing the, um, the conversation to uplifting black youth and to um, uh, looking at your own backyard and on the ways that you can help in your own community because um, there's a lot of outrage of what's happening in the South, but at the same time, there's still a lot happening right here in our own backyard. So we need to start looking um, on ways that we can, we can change our communities um, and make them better, make them safer places for all members of our community. Yeah. Like uh, you were saying, like, you're, you're, you're getting, you're just, you're getting tired of having to keep, keep fighting and you know the black community has been fighting for years and years Mm -hmm. and years um is it like how does the like how do like for example me as a a white guy um you know you need people like me to 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 stand with you to to do the fighting right absolutely i mean you know any movement any movement and it, it doesn't it doesn't move forward unless our allies jump on board with us like there's just it's just a numbers game right at the end of the day um there isn't enough um black people to um vote the right people into to power um so we need our allies to jump on and make those choices for us it's also people, yeah. sorry do you think people are afraid to look in the mirror yeah um to look in the mirror yeah um, and kind, think, and kind of yeah and kind of see that guilt and see and see like 
white people have to face this issue. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to, to face it or we don't want to. Yeah, because they don't want to give up their privilege. <laughs> right. right. Um, when, when you start to recognize um, how you've been part of the problem by not recognizing your privilege, then you then then you have to start giving up your privilege. Right. Um, and that's something that uh, most people who uh, most white people are just like, ooh, you know, I didn't really think about that. Like what I would lose. And it's not really a loss. I mean, you know, building community is is a game. But, to you know, that's I think where, where people are really scared. Like, does that mean I'm going to lose all the jobs? Are we going to you know what I mean? Are we not going to have safe communities because people are talking about defunding the police? And you know what I mean? And. and, and what that means, and I don't know if you if you've heard the defund the police thing because that's huge right now. Um, but all that means is is you know allocating some money that's that that all that money that's going to police services, maybe looking at other ways to use that money to build safer communities that don't just um, require enforcement, right? Um, I was listening to um, some news uh, news uh, casts and in Ottawa. Uh, Chief Peter Slowly, who is a um, black man who I know personally. Um, my sister's a police officer for Toronto Police. I don't know if a lot of people know that, how connected I am to the police force. Um, and um, I, I know Peter Slowly. And um, he was talking about how the police is not a force, it's a service. Right? And um, that, so they're trying to change the narrative on, on how people view the police force. Um, and that's, uh, or the, sorry, the police service. So, and that's and that's, you know, important in, in, to, to uh, change the narrative, um, but only if you're doing the work, right? <laughs> only if the police force is doing that work to change how they um, deal with the community on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, we need so much more community police officers, the ones who get into the community and support, the ones who volunteer, the ones who, um, you know, put their... Um, their service to the actual test, like actually do the service in the community, right? Because you can't just service the community by arresting people. That's not service in the community, right? It's not. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's it's the same thing when it comes to the white community. It's, uh, you know, it's all about, if you want to change the narrative on how um, people are speaking about um, white privilege, it's recognizing it and it's doing the work so that people are like, oh, look, you know, look, look at all the white, allies look at how many people are stepping up to make change in our community and recognizing their privilege and all and then further on you won't be hearing people talk about white privilege anymore because that will be a thing of the past if you want to change the story you have to do the work if you hate hearing the word white privilege then do the work to fix it to fix the uh the systematic racism that exists within all of our organizations all of our communities it's deeply rooted and it's um it's time for change yeah uh very very well said um, just going, going back, um, uh, what's it like being a black woman in our community? Well, I moved to uh, Barrie, to Simcoe County in 2012. I grew up in, um, well, actually was born in Toronto, lived there, and then grew up most of my time in Brampton. So I was, um, I had the opportunity to be in pretty diverse cities and see a lot of faces like myself. Um, that did not mean that I did not experience racism outside of Simcoe County. Um, when I was in, very, when I was really young, um, I went to a um, high school, a Catholic high school, and, sorry, not high school, sorry, elementary school. And um, I was uh, called the N-word constantly. 
And my sister was um, was, um, was a few years older, and she had been um, kicked on the ice and hurt just for being black. We were, I think, one of the only two. I think, think we were the only two black students in the school at the time. This is in Toronto. This is like Bathurst and Steel. So I'm not talking we were in, you know, some suburbs in outside of the big city. Um, and we, we, we dealt with it. My mom had to pull us out of that school and they ended up going to a French immersion school and that was much better. And then, <laughs> and then eventually um, she moved us out to Toronto and moved us to Brampton because Brampton was growing and there were a lot of um, people of color moving to Brampton. So, and I did, I, I, when I went to school in Brampton, I saw so many different like brown and black faces and it was awesome. And it felt so, um, it felt so great to be involved. I felt very seen in Brampton as a black individual. Um, now, um, you know, if, if we go into more of the intersectionality as being a queer, a queer person, I didn't really get any of that support, but, um, I definitely did. Um, feel seen in, in, in Brampton when I was growing up. When I moved to Simcoe County, um, I had already um, had two kids. I had gone to university in Montreal. I had, um, you know, ex really experienced a lot of diversity, and I was very active um, in the community in Montreal when it came to the LGBT community. I was, um, I ran the um, the Concordia Queer Union out there. I was, the, I elected president. I did lots of work with HIV/AIDS activism. So I was always kind of involved. I, I got there, and I felt like this is what I want to be doing. Like I just want to be fixing things because I'm so sad. The people that I love are being treated this way. So I just kind of got into the activism. When I moved to Simcoe County, that kind of just happened by accident. I was, um, you know, struggling. I just um, ended a long-term relationship. I was a single mother and I was a black single mother trying to um, find a place to stay, a place to live. And um, it was a struggle to do that in the GTA. It was really, really expensive and nobody wanted to, to rent to me as a single mother. And um, a, fr a friend had kind of mentioned that Barry at the time was a lot cheaper to rent, not necessarily the case anymore. And I ended up um, finding um, a, a place in Barry. And the woman who rented to me was a single mother. She was a white woman, but she said that the reason she rented to me was because when she was a single mother and she was struggling, nobody gave her a chance and she wanted to help another young, um, young single mother um, get a start. And I was there for, for uh, quite a, um, a few years. And so, you know, it was the only reason that I kind of came here was because I just needed a place to stay. I needed a house, I needed a home for my, me and my children. But when I got here, it was a culture shock. <laughs> like, I have never seen so many white people in one place. Like, I was like, there was, mm -hmm. like, I could, like, in 2012, I was like, you know, the people, uh, the, uh, the people of color, except for, you know, some of our tried and true very um, black people who've been hanging on for like the last 30 years in this community, hiding, I feel like, um, because they just don't feel like they, they have a space here in, in our community. But um, I was, you know, I, I, I kept trying to just get out and meet people and, and, and build community anywhere that I could see fit. And that was really important to me because I didn't see people like myself because, you know, I was trying to find people who were in the queer community who understood me. So it became this, this mission to, 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 to make the community for myself. I didn't have anybody who like my, 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 my parents had moved back to Trinidad, was very alone. Most of my siblings were almost an hour or two hours away. Um, so I really just needed to find my own family here. And that was why I just kept getting into community, um, you know, whatever I can do, volunteerism, things like that. It was just to kind of find a space to, to feel like home. Yeah, it sounds like you had to make you had to make the effort. It doesn't sound like the community reached out. Uh, was, was making, <laughs> oh, no. like the community wasn't making the effort. It was yeah. it was all on your shoulders. Like, yeah. how do we how do we change that? So it's the community that's actually 
helping yeah. and making it, you know, being welcoming and, and like a real, um, a, a real like rainbow community of all races and all creeds. And yeah. how do we do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as I, as I continued to, to believe that I was one of the few people of color in the community, I started to realize that that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, they were out there. They just weren't involved. They weren't around in all the community events and stuff. And I wondered why, um, why was that happening? And when I started to ask and most people were like, Oh, that's white stuff. Like they don't do anything for us. They don't have, and like even the festivals and things that happen downtown, all the music, that, like, white artists after white artists after white artist doesn't represent any type of cultures. Doesn't, um, there, there is no multicultural festival that happens here. There's nothing, you know? Um, so uh, so it, it's not that we didn't exist. It's just that people of color were just like, mm, there isn't a place for us, so we'll go to Toronto when we want to do anything. <laughs> So think about all the business lost to our community because people feel like they're not represented here, but they move here because they want to be close to the lake. You know, like that's really, that's, yeah. that's really it. I mean, like, I don't know much people who move here saying, you know, um, because this community is, you know, represents me and I, and I feel included. They move here because I want to be close to the beach. It's beautiful here, right? And we deserve to, to, to have access to all of these, um, uh, you know, it, like we shouldn't be stuck in, in concrete jungles. That shouldn't be the only op um, options that we have to, to live and because that's the only places where services are offered for us, you know? But it's unfortunately what, most ha what, what happens, especially to new immigrants. Now, I just, um, I sit on the board with Ethnic Mosaic Alliance. They are an um, organization here in our community that is working to build a multicultural center in Simcoe County. Now this, um, they're working directly with the county of Sim Simcoe. We've got a grant in with the county. We're hoping to hear by the end of the month whether we've got approved. I feel really good about it. Um, but at the same time, we need land. We need land to build this, um, um, this building. And so we're, we're, we're reaching out to municipalities over the next coming weeks and we're asking, hey, we need you to gift us some land so we can build this multicultural center because we need a place for people to feel to be who they are, where, they can, where we can um, work with um, new immigrants in our community, where we can have a space to, um, to showcase our culture in a beautiful way, whether it be through um, you know, entertainment or whether it be through um, service, whether it be like community service, a church service or something like that, like a religious service. There needs to be a space where we can all kind of come together. Um, and so, and then that's, we don't have that space here yet. So that's kind of like our next project on, on, on you know, bringing, you know, diversity and inclusion to the forefront of our community and celebrating cultures here. Um, and it takes, it takes a lot of support in order to make that happen. And um, when I was um, on this board, we had a conversation and um, we work with the um, new immigration um, center here at Simcoe. And they talked about there's 4,000, approximately 4,000 new, brand new immigrants to Simcoe County that are here less than five years in Canada. Can uh, I want you to ask yourself, Michael? Do you think that um, Barry or the 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 Greater Scheme is a place that is really welcoming to brand new immigrants, people who don't speak um, this um, English as their first language? Have you witnessed a lot of um, support for these types of people here in our community? Yeah, no, definitely yeah. not. Uh, you know, so okay, so cause, so there's four thousand people who are being left behind. Um, and yeah. uh, right. So then there is, uh, I think, close to 50,000 um, who have um, new immigrants in Simcoe County in general who have been here above five years. Um, so that's a large number of people that need to be catered to. I talk to all people all the time um, when, when we're jumping on the bandwagon of, uh, bandwagon of outrage to think about 
how they how their business can service these people. Um, it is a smart business move to be inclusive. I don't understand why people don't understand that. <laughs> I just don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like um, there's. A, the gays have taught us anything <laughs> right the LGBT community yeah. right they will spend money if you cater to them if you um or um or if you support them if you show that you're an inclusive business they will spend money with you um we have money in our pockets and we got to spend them somewhere and if Simcoe County is always complaining about, um, you know, businesses suffering and um, right now we're sitting here and we're pivoting during COVID and we're trying to figure out all these different ways to support our community. How many people have been thinking about the inclusive lens in their marketing? I don't know. Yeah. And like, touching on the, you know, on the economy mm-hmm. there, like uh, I think what COVID-19, the pandemic we're going through and the, the stuff you've seen about how it's affecting certain pe- like, members of our community more. Um, it's kind of showing that, you know, uh, racialized people uh, and, and immigrants, migrant workers, um, it, it shows how they're like pushed to the, almost the sidelines of our economy. Like we, 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 like as a society, we, we want them to do the jobs that, you know, a lot of times people don't mm-hmm, want to do. Mm-hmm. And, like the essential um, jobs that were, it, that were so essential when it, everything got shut down during COVID. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like uh, PSWs yeah. in their long-term care homes, like they're, they're overwhelmingly racialized women. Um, and like they get, they get paid pennies yep. to do a job that is so yep. vital. Yep, they do. Um, so, I, yep. you know, that's With language barriers, we... no support for those language barriers. And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so that's something we really have as a society, we have to kind of, there's a reckoning coming, I think. We need to really reevaluate how we treat uh, those workers and, you know, all, you know, racialized people. It's, it's frustrating, but mm-hmm. I guess we just got to keep Absolutely. fighting. Right? And we got to, and um, I mean, the fight in, it starts with the conversation and with calling out um, injustices um, with, when you hear people make racial slurs, um, correcting them and letting them know that you won't stand for it. Um, that's so like so imperative um, fighting the fight with us um, and for us because I'm tired and when you're on social media and somebody has an ignorant comment about uh, how white privilege doesn't exist I mean I just can't I just can't keep educating people yeah. I need other people to jump in and, and support that so um, making a sense and if, it, and, if it's, and if it's a white man saying this and another white man says that's bullshit he's going to hear it a lot better than from my black ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like he's, you know, if it's coming around and there's all kinds of other white men saying, are you crazy? Like, this is, this is um, what my privilege is. You need to do your education. Here are some resources, Um, you know, happy to get offline and chat with you further about this. We need to stick together. Like that's the kind of conversations we need to start having. Um, You know, there's a lot of people online who find this bullying technique as the way that they try to get messages um, across and it doesn't work. Um, You just end up being labeled a bully and nobody hears anything that you have to say. So you have to be also very careful how you approach these situations. Some people are a lost cause when you're talking um, and you and you usually know it pretty, pretty fairly quickly that there's really no point continuing. But some people really just don't know. Um, and they really need people, um, and usually they're quicker to, to, to listen to people who look more like themselves. So we really need our allies to step up right now. Are you, um, are you at all worried um, that, you know, the momentum that we're seeing, um, and I, I hate to use that word because obviously, you know, lives are, being, lives are being lost. This is a terrible situation, um, you know, 
but I, you know, I fear that, you know, it's almost a bandwagon. Yeah. People, yeah. like, you know, with social, with social media, people jump on it and yeah. they're excited. Yeah, bandwagon uh, about outrage is what I call like, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do we, like, are, are you worried that, you know, eventually, the, you know, people are going to just turn to yeah, something absolutely. else? I am so worried that I am, all the projects and things that I'm working on right now, I'm, like, literally killing myself to get them off the ground as soon as possible because soon it's going to be something else and people are going to forget this movement and i just i don't I, and I need to maximize whatever support that we can get while it's hot because that is the reality of things thank you for listening to struggle in the suburbs special thanks to shelly skinner for speaking with me Please check out her new initiative, Uplift Black Youth Simcoe County. You can find a link in the episode description. And please support black businesses and other initiatives to help the black community this time. Thank you also to all the speakers from the two, yes, two protests that we saw in Barrie this week. You know, the black community has been fighting for change, not just decades, but centuries, really. For those of us who have benefited from white privilege and a system that oppresses and exploits large segments of the population, we need to do a hell of a lot more. We need to do our part and more. We need to be true allies and more. It's gonna be uncomfortable for us but it needs to be uncomfortable. We need to know the pain and suffering of so many in the black community. That's the only way we're gonna see change. I'd like to end with some words from Fred Hampton, Black Panther and revolutionary revolutionary socialist. This is what he had to say in 1969. We got to face some facts that the masses are poor, that the masses belong to what you call the lower class. And when I talk about the masses, I'm talking about the white masses, I'm talking about the black masses, and the brown masses, and the yellow masses too. We've got to face the fact that some people say you fight fire best with fire, but we say you you put fire out best with water. We say you don't fight racism with racism, We're going to fight racism with solidarity. We say you don't fight capitalism with no black capitalism. You fight capitalism with socialism. Take care out there, everyone. Support the black community and be a real ally. Stay safe. Share your love. And keep on fighting for a better world.